us now over the phone is Associate Professor of Science and Environmental Education, Sarah Tolbert, who will be speaking to us about the debate surrounding the New Zealand science curriculum. Kia ora, Sarah. Thank you for joining us. Kia ora. Thanks so much for having me. For our listeners, would you be able to outline the changes that have been proposed to the secondary school's science curriculum? So I can't speak to the proposed changes directly, but I can talk uh, more broadly to um, the need for an updated curriculum for uh, the, the current times that we're in. Yep. I think the, the process, um, as I understand it from the Ministry of Education, is that there are key stakeholders that will get feedback in the initial release of, of this draft, which I think came out to stakeholders in April. And there'll be another, another release of the document for more feedback uh, from the wider public sometime in August or September. So I can't speak to the specifics of the curriculum, but I can speak to, to um, what I see in my experience and from my particular uh, expertise in science education about what, what's necessary. Yeah, so I guess going off that, then would you be able to point out some of the flaws that you've experienced in your time with the current curriculum? Um, not necessarily flaws. I think we can we can look at a uh, shift internationally. So it's really not necessarily about looking at flaws in a curriculum, but it's looking about uh, looking at global movements in science education and looking at the sort of wide updates and changes that are being called for. I think most recently by the OECD. So the the PISA twenty twenty five has laid out a vision for for education and for curriculum reform around the world that really emphasizes context that matter um, in the Anthropocene. So in this time in which human impact is really significant on the earth, what is it that we need to be helping students understand and engage with, and particularly in science education, and how is that different from, from the way in which we've thought about science curriculum in the past? So from that perspective, I can say that, you know, if we look at these global shifts and are thinking about about science education and the purpose of science education and the content of a science curriculum, we, we've moved really from thinking about a, a sort of narrower vision of scientific literacy, probably in the, in the late 80s and early 90s, which really focused on kind of these distinct sets of, of concepts or building blocks within each of the sub-disciplines. And then from there, uh, probably in the early 2000s, looked at how students need to engage more in inquiry practices in science because... Um, focusing too much on the content didn't really help students understand the actual practice of science and how scientific knowledge is constructed. So we moved from this focus on looking more at discrete facts of scientific literacy to looking at understanding how to engage with the practices of science as science inquiry to, I think, probably about a decade ago, thinking looking at inquiry was a bit too ambiguous for a lot of educators. And so we needed to be really specific specific about what we mean when we talk about inquiry in science. We move to more of a practice-oriented approach in science education. So modeling and understanding representations and models and how they're generated and used, um, looking at the unique um, ways in which scientific arguments are constructed or how do we generate claims from evidence and how is evidence in science different from some of the other learning areas, for example, um, and to looking at some of those uh, broader understandings of, of scientific literacy as being relevant to the ways in which we communicate scientific knowledge to different audiences and for different purposes. And then since then, there's a lot of work that's been done more recently around how do we prepare students to engage um, and use science and understand science within these social and political and complex ethical contexts 
that we're currently facing. If we're looking at issues around climate change mitigation and adaptation, and we're looking at issues of um, increasing biodiversity loss, for example. And I think one of the really important things for me um, in the work that I do is, you know, I think a lot of young people are facing, uh, we sometimes refer to it as eco-anxiety or even climate depression. Yeah. And so I think science, science education and the science curriculum really have to play a key role in, in helping students understand that, you know, there are there are scientists collaborating on these problems alongside, um, you know, experts in other disciplines, alongside community members, alongside um, indigenous knowledge holders and indigenous communities. And so how can the science curriculum help empower students to see that science plays a really critical role and can be a really important tool in, you know, our engagement with these issues. And, and inevitably that requires knowing some science concepts, right? So it's not about moving the, the facts and theories out of the curriculum, it's understanding that science happens in context. The mm-hmm. science actually doesn't get done outside of a context, and there are real drivers of the research questions that we ask. And so how do those research questions get, um, get identified, and how do they get funded? And then from there, what are the, you know, what are the ways in which we draw from a variety of, of science concepts across disciplines? So inevitably, inevitably it's about bringing science conceptual understandings um, into more authentic interaction with the ways in which those science concepts are used and applied. So I think that's, that's the real shift, yeah. and I think that, that can be sometimes hard for, um, for us to get our heads around because we've mm-hmm. sort of always seen science as, as predominantly about learning facts and theories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I've seen a lot of criticisms about it that you know, people are scared that it's moving away from your stock standard chemistry, biology, physics, just in that, in that split. How do you respond to some of the criticisms from you know, teachers saying that this change could be a shocking failure for students with you know, them going more disengaged with science instead of achieving the goal of increasing interest? Right. Well, I mean, I think uh, you know, that there's a, a real um, increasingly growing body of evidence over the past three decades that that essentially says that, um, you know, while it might be, some say it might be ideal to be able to open up students' heads and put all science, you know, scientific facts and theories inside, um, that, that's not how learning works. And, uh, you know, real learning requires um, motivating context. It requires um, engaged attitudes. It requires a high level of interest. Um, and it requires relevant context. And so the idea that we can teach science well, even if we did have a, a narrow perspective on what scientific literacy is and should be. Um, just focusing on facts and theories doesn't work. And, and, and this, is, this is also some of the, the evidence behind why we're seeing these shifts internationally in, in science curriculum reform movements is because um, research in, in learning sciences and research on how people learn in general has shifted and changed. And research in science education and how people um, learn and become scientifically literate, if you will, or, or use the literacy practices of science, um, that has changed as well. So, so I mean, I think the critique, um, actually, if, if you look at the, what, what these curriculum reform uh, movements are saying, isn't saying that we're trying to do one or the other. It's not, it's not about an either or. It's not about leave the science concepts behind and just focus on the context. It's about engaging students in meaningful science, right, and being able to use science as a tool that, um, that helps them understand these, these bigger problems that we're all concerned about or these local problems that we're concerned about or, you know, even um, problems in our daily lives or challenges in our daily lives while at the same time helping students appreciate 
the natural world through these multiple knowledge systems, through Mataranga Māori and through mm-hmm. science, um, to, to enrich and actually generate more robust understandings and, and appreciation for the natural world. I do have a question about Mataranga Māori, but I'll, I'll say that to you at the end. Um, I was going to ask, you know, you've, you've obviously there's been a, you know, a big point of um, causing disengagement for students with science, but you've just spoken on climate change. Do you think an issue like climate change can really galvanise, you know, younger people to get, you know, go down those science pathways now because, you know, so <laughs> many people are so passionate about the subject? I think it could. I think it has the potential to. I think if people see science pathways as um, as as a pathway or science careers as a pathway for for being able to be part of a solution to these big problems, I think more students will be will be interested in pursuing those pathways. I think um, you know that there there has been a bit of a public relations problem sometimes in in how we understand scientific uh, degree programs and, and science careers, and I think that um, you know that that teaching in a way that that engages students in these um, contextualized phenomena can actually help um, expand participation in the sciences rather than narrow it. Mm -hmm. And if we look at, you know, um, if we look at who goes into the sciences, it's really a minority, a small minority of students currently, and it has been that way for a while. Um, If you look at at the number of students who graduate from high school, the number of students enrolled in in schools in Aotearoa, New Zealand, for example, and how many of them actually end up pursuing sciences in, in uh, year 13 or in, as undergraduate um, degree programs, it's, it's the minority. So we're already looking. So we can't teach to a minority of students, but what we can do is teach science for, uh, for all students in ways that actually might, might enhance student interest in, in those career pathways. And obviously going off what we just mentioned, as part of the new curriculum, there's been a prominent integration of Maturanga Māori, you know, which tends to differ from you know, your traditional contemporary science teachings. Do you believe that educators will be able to teach their students about such topics appropriately or confidently, particularly as many originate from you know, different cultures that may be unfamiliar with Maturanga Māori? Yes. I mean, this is a really good question. I think um, you know, Dr. Georgina Stewart has spoken really eloquently about this. Um, in, in the past few weeks, as well as done a couple of, of great seminars on this topic. Um, and I think that uh, that it, it entirely is possible, but certainly teachers will need a lot of support. Mm-hmm. The curriculum, um, the, the rationale behind the curriculum refresh is really about, um, in part, uh, giving effect to Te Tiritio Waitangi. And so thinking about mana orite um, in the curriculum across all learning areas, not just science, which is essentially um, equal parity for Matsuranga Māori. And that doesn't necessarily mean, um, you know, the uh, sort of tit-for-tat approach. Yeah. And it, it's not a lot at all about, um, and I think this is how it's sometimes been misunderstood, that, oh, if I'm teaching this particular concept about matter and energy, I have to find an equivalent um, in Matsuranga Māori, and that's not it at all. And in fact, if you think about learning um, from a, a phenomenon-based or, or more of a, a context-oriented approach, it, it becomes uh, a situation in which you can bring in scientific understandings and science knowledge and bring in Matsuranga Māori um, to make sense of a particular phenomenon or as lenses for enriching our understandings of a phenomenon. Um, so that means making room for making space for um, and certainly when, you know, when teachers are feeling anxious about their, their knowledge or their professional training, um, that there will need to be a lot of support. And I think that that's really critical um, to communicate that, you know, that, that, yeah, that this might feel like a big ask for a lot of teachers and it's okay to feel anxious. Um, but I think, I think that we need to 
be comfortable being uncomfortable. And I, I think that's part of our role as good treaty partners, too, as non-Maori is. Um, it's okay to be a little bit uncomfortable, and it's okay to have humility, and it's okay to, to say when you don't know. And then, um, and then think about what, what are the, you know, what are the, the connections that I have or the, the sort of um, legitimate um, relationships that I have that I can leverage in order to be able to bring in Makaranga Māori in this particular context for learning. So I'm thinking, for example, at the university, we have Kayatahi Māori. Mm-hmm. And that's a really important support for us at the university, right? So when I don't know, I have people that I can go to who have been identified by the local Runanga who, who can, you know, who can support me. And I think that um, schools in Kura will also have or have been forming these relationships for a while. And so local schools and, and Kura will have ways in which teachers can, can reach out or um, try to make connections to the cultural narrative that's been developed for them by by the local iwi or by Manapanoa, for example. So, so there will be some learning, and there will be a learning curve. But um, I don't ever feel like in curriculum reform that that should inhibit us from doing um, what we know is the right thing to do. It just means that this will be, you know, this will require a lot of support. If you look at, at similar curriculum reforms around the world, um, same thing with the Next Generation Science Standards in the U.S., for example, that came out in 2013. There were several years of support and professional learning uh, around this new framework because it was really different for teachers. And so it, it does take time and it does take real investment and the commitment to, um, to making sure that, you know, that people get what they need to be able to do this well. Yeah. Thank, thanks, Sarah for, uh, Sarah, for, you know, tackling a lot of those misconceptions, you know, so well. Um, I think, yeah, there was a, a lot of questions coming into this that I was – you know, a bit confused about, and you've just cleared that up, and I think you've cleared it up for our listeners as well. So once, once oh, again, so thank, glad you, to hear it. thank you so much for joining our show, um, and I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thanks for the invitation. I love doing student radio because I, I feel like you really do allow a platform to have these, um, you know, really in-depth conversations, so I appreciate the work that you do. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. You have a good one. All right, you too. Take care. That was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more of them at r1.co.nz forward slash podcast.